from the Don't Break the Oath podcast based in Grimsby, England. And you lucky people are listening to one of my favourite podcasts. So without further ado, here is the Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hell yeah! That was Aliens Exist by Blink-182, and we actually played that song for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, we're doing a show on Aliens, so that kind of fits. But more importantly, the lead singer for Blink-182, at least at the time, uh, Tom DeLonge, he actually uh, is really fascinated by UFOs since having you know some encounters earlier in life. And in 2015, when he left the band, he pretty much chose to spend his time investigating UFO phenomena. And... He feels like he's gotten pretty close to some of the answers due to some friends he's got within the Department of Defense and NASA. Now, he may have gotten a little too close because the government tapped his phone. An elderly engineer warned him to back off before he got hurt. And he inexplicably lost three hours of time during a pilgrimage to Nevada to uh, uh, Area 51, which where Roswell was, obviously. Uh, so everything there is just kind of really cool, but... His curiosity led him to follow a path to do that, and it also led him to write the song, so we thought it'd be a good song to start with. All right, and welcome to episode 37 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry, and I'm joined by Tracy. What's up, guys? Is it just 37? It feels like more. Well, it's like in dog years. It would probably be... Uh, so 37, really? 37. Oh, well, <laughs> yay! Go you 37! Haven't, you haven't even done all 37. Well, maybe... You didn't even come in until... One episode, which was nine, and then you took over at 12. So I've got at least 12 more episodes than you do. Oh. Well, so. thanks for leaving me out. Anyways. Well, anyway. Hey, guys. How are you? We have got an awesome show for you tonight. We are going to talk about something um, I don't normally get excited about, which is UFO stuff, because I believe in UFOs. I just don't think it's that big of a deal that they're here. And Why? You know, I just don't. I just. I, I mean, bet you think it was a big if they try to dress up on one. Well, uh, if they tried to do an anal probe, it would be the most action I've had in months. Why you always got to put that out there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wake you up in the middle of the night one night, and I'm going to probe your anal um, with something. No, that's not going to happen. I didn't. That wasn't a request. I just said that would be the most action. Oh, okay. Well, guess what? I won't then. If I wanted that, I'd just go for another prostate exam. You're lost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's why you've been going to all those prostate exams, huh? Now the truth comes out. So anyways, what we've got uh, is the Rendlesham Forest incident, which is, uh, some people call it the the uh, Britain-Roswell. Uh, some people call it the uh, Bridgewater incident because it happened uh, right outside of uh, two naval bases, one of which being Bridgewater. But we're going to call it Rendlesham Forest because that's what most people call it. And it's, it's probably the biggest cover-up. In, uh, I would say, any kind of UFO, even even bigger than Roswell, because there were so many... That we know of. Well, there were so many military people 
that actually saw this, a lot of credible witnesses, and just the story that that goes on is is amazing. And what makes this show going to be extra special is we are going to be joined by our friends from uh, Don't Break the Oath podcast. Awesome. I cannot wait. Yep. Lee and Andy are going to join us, and I've been telling you guys about their show for weeks. I don't know how many of you have actually listened yet, but if you have, then you'll kind of uh, uh, have a grasp of how their show is. They've actually done a show on Rendlesham Forest, and I thought it would be kind of cool to bring them on. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to do our spill on it like we normally would, mm-hmm. and then we're going to bring them on, and they'll, they'll talk about some different aspects, probably some stuff we didn't know because they're in Great Britain. They probably have a little better feel oh, for sure. it than what we do and, and have maybe heard some different things than what we have. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, wanted to give some quick shout-outs to start the show. I, I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, but I think it's Izzy Crab. So from England, so hopefully it's crab, or thinking maybe not. Hopefully it's crab. But Izzy uh, wrote us a nice note earlier this this week and told us that she loves listening to the show. So I wanted to say thank you for listening. Thank you, Izzy. We really appreciate it all. And then we've got Shane Hoffman from Pennsylvania. Thanks, Shane. Hello, Shane. Michelle Bunce Seward from Louisville, Kentucky. She's an old friend of ours. Yeah. Hey, Michelle. Then we've got Rebecca. I don't know your last name, but it's Rebecca in Baltimore. She. Rebecca in Baltimore. And then we've got Lindsay Friels up in uh, Middletown, Ohio. Thanks, Lindsay. And I What's better, up, Lindsay? Yeah, I better throw Jim in there, too, so he don't get all mad because he didn't get in there. So. Hey, Jim. And then uh, we've got Sean Marie Coleman Cook, uh, who is, I don't, you know what? Sean, I don't know where you live. I think you live in Louisville or thereabouts, but I'm not 100% sure, so would what, but you got four names or seven names or something like that. So and we love every one of them. You know it's you. So we love every one of them. But that's what we wanted to start off with was just to get the shout outs out of the way because I don't know how busy this show is going to be. It's going to get pretty, uh, pretty full, I would say. And we're going to jump right into it. Are you okay with jumping right into? I'm it? ready to jump. All right. I want to have fun with this because we, but we want to get this story in and we want to do it the way we normally do it. When the guys from Don't Break the Oath get in, in here, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. They'll, they'll give their spill on some stuff, but they are some fun guys. Their show is really fun. Mm-hmm. And I think we're just going to try to mix this in. So instead of it being like an interview like we normally do, we really want it to be like all four of us collaborating on this story. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what they have to say. All right. You know, I think I said. Bridgewater earlier is where that the Bridgewater incident. And that's that's the uh, mall that I go to up in Ohio all the what time. What is wrong with you? Yeah, it's actually Bentwater. I don't know. Bentwater. It's drawn. A, I don't know what was wrong with me. I apologize for my inconsistencies. Well, it is Friday. You know, yeah, that means so much to me. Well, your brain's just kind of. <laughs> it's the end of the week, is what I'm trying to say. All right, so here's what we got: the Rendlesham Forest incident. You're going to go back. It, there's two bases over in, in England, Suffolk, England, and it's called Bentwater and it's called Woodbridge. Now, right in between those two military bases, you've got a set of woods, which is Rendlesham Forest. Now, several military people saw this, including Deputy Base Commander uh, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt. And his, he's, the reason I mentioned him in the beginning is because that's really going to come into play a little later in the story, and even up through today, um, you hear his name mentioned quite often. So this is going to start in the in the early hours of December 26, 1980. So you got Christmas night. As soon as Christmas is over, midnight, you start going into December 26, and that's about where we're at. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. You got 
some action going on out there by the force because you've got one guy, uh, John Burroughs and, and uh, uh, Sergeant Bud Stevens, who was actually like, I guess they're like guards, security guards. That's what their duty was. You know, mm-hmm. they're actually part of the Air Force, but they're security guards. So they're uh, guarding the perimeter. And they start seeing some weird glow come from uh, out in the woods. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Bud Stevens and, and John Burroughs, they head out that way. Well, they start noticing as they get closer that there's really some weird stuff going on. And, and Burroughs, he doesn't want to just get on the airwaves and start, you know, saying what they're seeing because that it's going to go out against all the airwaves. So they basically call back to the home base mm-hmm. and say, hey, there's something weird going on here. Uh, we probably need some help. So then Jim Penniston gets sent out there to help investigate. And he's like, well, can it wait? And they're like, no, you need to go right now. Why would he say can it wait? Well, they didn't know he didn't know what it was. Oh. They just told him he just needed to go. I got you. And you know, and it was three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, mind. true so, story. <clears throat> so they go ahead and, and he gets out there and uh, he meets up with Burroughs and it looks like there is a crashed aircraft of some sort. Mm-hmm. You could see where the trees and stuff had been kind of knocked down or where something had came down and they needed to investigate it. Well, the, the uh, Bud Stevens, the supervisor, the, the uh, he was scared to death. And he didn't want to go check it out. Uh, so he went back to the base while Burroughs and Pinston went in to check it out. So they're the only two people there at the time. Okay, but was this something that just happened or just had happened? No, it, it had just happened oh, okay. really so, recently. Oh, I got you. Okay. They notice as they're standing at the edge of the woods that there's this weird white glow. And as they start going closer and closer... Uh, to the object, you know, Pinson said he noticed that that it didn't it looked like a crash site, but it didn't feel like a crash site. There were there weren't things there that made it seem like a crash site. For example, you couldn't smell any kind of burning yeah, yeah. fuel. There was no fire, nothing like that. So that was kind of uh, the first instinct that something just wasn't right about it. Now, when you talk to Burroughs. Burroughs said it looked like a, some kind of a Christmas decoration or something. The way the lights were coming on and there was, you know, the white glow, but then there was kind of some different colors. Well, it was Christmas time, so. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, if this had happened like the day before, they would have said it was Santa's sleigh or something. But uh, that was not the case here. Oh, so. That would have been cool. They start getting a little closer. The radio started breaking up. It was cutting in and out real staticky as mm-hmm. if there's some kind of electricity in the air. Uh, they started hearing some loud shrieks from animals. Almost like they were scared, and they start kind of running from the area. So that's something that they had noticed right off the bat, that all these animals started leaving the area, and they were making these weird noises that animals usually don't make. And Pinson said he'd never seen anything like this, and to be honest, he was scared to death. I would be too. Then all of a sudden, as they get closer to this thing, there was this really bright flash of light. When this happened, it basically knocked both of the guys, Pinson and Burroughs, to the ground. Oh, Wow. Now, here's where things start getting a little bit different. So, Pinston says he got up. He could see a triangular-shaped craft about 20 feet from him. He walks up to the craft, and as he starts getting closer, he says he could feel like an electricity in the air. Not like something where you just have, like, the hair stick up on the, on the back of your neck or something. It just He said he could just feel it all over his entire body. So, he gets closer to the thing, and he notices that this triangular-shaped craft is basically, like, made of glass. Real shiny, real smooth. He said it was weird looking in the fact that you could see different colors 
running through the glass. But you couldn't actually see through it. No, you couldn't see through it, but these colors would change from oh, like one cool. color to the next color. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't anything really mm-hmm. showing that would make that effect. You yeah. could just see it in the actual. It's almost like it was under, you know, the glass or whatever yeah. that the craft was made of. And he said it wasn't aerodynamic by any means. It didn't look at anything that you would have out there that, you know, this is 1980, you know, anything mm-hmm. that would fly. It had no flaps or anything like that. He couldn't see any kind of exhaust. He couldn't see any kind of motors, nothing like that. He said he started taking some measurements. He had a little notepad with him, and he said it was about nine feet long and about seven feet high. And he started noticing there was some, like, hieroglyphic-type writings on the side. Mm -hmm. There's all these different little shapes and triangles and all that, so... He was hoping that it would say United States Air Force or oh, I bet he did. <laughs> NASA or something like that, but he didn't know what it was. He start, he figured he would take some measurements of this. So the, the writings from where the start to finish was about three feet long and about six inches high. Mm-hmm. Then he said he saw this one plate. It was like a circle with a triangle in it, and he put his hand on it. He said when he put his hand on it, a really bright light started glowing from there oh and it gosh. started making a noise and all that stuff and it didn't stop until he took his hand off and then once he took the hand off it was like almost instantly the thing shot up in the air and when it did it didn't create any kind of air there was no displaced air there was no leaves blowing around there was it was just like it just no sound well that is bizarre because you would think that would like knock him back and all this other yeah, stuff and it did nothing wow he was lucky then so then, all of a sudden, Burroughs runs up to him. Now, keep in mind, they had both got knocked down before, and this was just uh, him to himself now. And Burroughs, he gets up, and he, he about the time he, he sees this thing taken off, and they're like, hey, you can see the thing up in a tree, and he points at it up in the tree line. It wouldn't sit in a tree. It was just above the trees. So they decided they were going to try to give chase to it. So they're kind of running around, trying to, wherever it goes, they're seeing it, and... It just disappears. They can't. They don't know what to do with it, so it disappears. Mm-hmm. And they're walking back to the vehicle, and they're like, how the hell do we explain this? And it's about that time that Burroughs and Pinston realize that they've got two different memories of what happened. Because oh. Pinston was the one that was putting his hands on everything. Now, Burroughs said what he saw was a red oval-type object, and he didn't see Pinston walking around the vehicle, none of that. Two totally different things. So on the trip back to the base, they didn't talk. They didn't say anything about what they, they were just confused. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know what they were going to say. So they get back to the base. It's about 445 in the morning. They figured that it took about 45 minutes. So that's the way it seems. Mm-hmm. In reality, they were out there for two and a half hours. Oh, wow. Well, so weird that they both saw the same thing or I mean, the different things. They didn't see yeah, the same thing. Yeah, they didn't see the same thing, but they saw the same thing once they were both awake and it was up in the tree. They saw the same thing before, but yeah. once that bright light knocked both of them down, from that point, it was different. Oh, wow. So then they had to go through a deep debriefing. And uh, Pinson said that the debriefing, in case people aren't familiar with a debriefing, anytime there's a situation like that, so when you take your underwear off. No, that's not what that is. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have to sit down with the superiors uh, and, and actually tell them everything that happened. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people in the military that tell you after a debriefing that you have to forget 
pretty much that's the last time it gets talked about. That's you know they just want to know what happened so they could do their reports or what have you, and that's they need one of those lights like on Men in Black. Yeah, well, some people will tell you that they use stuff like that, and we'll get into a little bit of that later. Oh wow, I just so, oh go me. Yeah, it's amazing that you get most of your factual from evidence movies? from movies that are. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but so the shift commander comes in, and he basically gave him you know a warning. You know, kind of a vague warning. He mm-hmm. wouldn't like threatening them or anything. Yeah. But he said, you know, they told him what happened, and he's like, gentlemen, Project Blue Book ended in 1969, and some things, some things are just better left unknown. Wow. <laughs> so, and those of you who are unaware of Project Blue Book, Project Blue Book, I think, started in the 40s, right after the Roswell uh, situation in the United States, and it was basically the United States Air Force investigating all these different UFO mm-hmm. incidents and, and, um, there actually used to be a cool when I was growing up back in the eighties. There was a really cool TV show called Project Blue Book, and I don't remember that. Yeah, and you should because you would have been about twenty five or thirty then. Well, whatever. Kiss my butt. But it was a really cool show, and that's what it was based on. And but they ended that in nineteen sixty nine. So now we got the debriefing and everything goes on. Later that morning, Pinston he can't sleep. He stays up all night. He's writing stuff down. Uh, all these he's trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these uh, images and stuff he saw, and he's writing all of them down. He keeps seeing these numerical codes, ones and zeros and zeros and ones. And, and in reality, it was computer code, but he didn't realize at the time. Mm-hmm. He's writing all of it down. He decides that after he gets up in the morning that he wants to go check this thing out in the daylight. So he gets up, and he goes out there, and, and he's got some plaster of Paris, you know, the stuff where you can make um, – you know, like casts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Of, he gets up, he goes out there. He's he's by himself. He's walking around, and he starts seeing where he, where they remember this thing coming down. He starts seeing a symmetrical pattern. They were ten feet apart, basically a triangle. So there was three different ones, ten feet apart. He starts taking plaster molds and stuff like that. But he decided he didn't want to tell his supervisor because, you know. At this time, you start doing that, you're, you're really at risk of losing your job, especially if you're in an important military position. Oh, of course, yeah. Now, you would think that would be about the end of it, except two nights later, Deputy Base Commander Charles Holt was at a, uh, or Charles Holt, rather, was at a Christmas holiday party. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they were still having holiday parties the 27th, but, you know, I guess you, yeah. they live it up in England. Yeah, good for them. He had an ex-Marine um that's that was an employee of his, one of his guards, come in and he was looking super scared and pale, and he said it's back. And um, Halt said, "What's back?" And he said, "The UFO's back." No. Now in the same like in the same yes, vicinity, same place. Now after two days of hearing all the the hubbub about this, Halt decided he was going to go check it out for himself. So he assembled a team of three guys and himself, and said, "Let's go." See what's going on. Mm-hmm. Within just a few minutes, they're out there at Rendlesham Forest, so they didn't take them long to get there. Now, they've already got section of the forest kind of cordoned off, and there is a little brief talk about, you know, from one of the guys saying, you know, hey, the UFO is no longer visible. This is where it's at, but you really can't see it unless yeah. you go back there. And they started experiencing, you know, some outages of these big high-powered, uh, uh, what do you call them, like spotlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had floodlights. They had these giant floodlights set up, 
and th- they kept going out. The power kept going out. So you just think about what you, if it was like a spotlight on a stage. Yeah. If they just kept going out, and that's what was happening. So Halt and his team, they gather all their gear up. They they've got a, a camera, a Geiger counter, you know, to measure mm-hmm. um, uh, radioactivity. They've got a night vision device, and then he's also got a tape recorder that he takes everywhere. And that's going to really come into play a little later. Uh, of course, the crew started having radio interference, just like the other crew did as they started getting closer. They started to notice some indentations on several trees and high radiation levels. So obviously there was something going on. You could see where these indentations were something that came down and did damage to these trees. Well, there suddenly the animals that were right there started making a lot of noise, just like the night before. Yeah. And, and then there was a farm next to this mm-hmm. where those noises were coming from the farm, too. So the farm animals over there were having the same situation. You know, they always say animals can detect this kind of stuff. So um, suddenly they saw a bright red object that looked like an eyeball. I mean, they said it was red. It had a dark center. It started zigzagging through the trees, like doing stuff that no object that we have should be able to do. So you mean maybe like what that other guy thought he saw? Was it that? Like he said he saw I a mean, red it, object, right? It basically fit right there. Um, now, according to Halt, like I said, this this guy was the deputy base commander. I mean, he was a big shot. Yeah. He was 40 years old. He'd been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. So he's really reputable. He said that you could see this thing zigzagging between the trees, and it looked like it was dripping molten metal. Molten metal? Hot liquid the magma. magma. So he looked like he was doing that. <laughs> oh my gosh. That then is crazy. It, fl- it flew over the field by the farm. And then they were afraid because it was really close to the farmhouse that, you know, if this thing did something caught on fire, then you've got the farmhouse, there are people in there. This thing just exploded into like several little smaller white objects. Like no sound or nothing. It just like. Twing. Yeah. I said no sound, and you made a sound. So that really doesn't correspond. <laughs> oh. Then well, all of a sudden, as they're as they're looking at it, the object starts. It just they all start heading towards the commander and his crew. It just started coming at them towards a high speed. Oh my gosh! And uh, they then as it got closer to it, it emitted like a giant spotlight. Like it ra- it had like a ray that came down from it, like a spotlight, like in your face. Yeah, and like that. And it was shining all over where they were. Oh like it was, my gosh! And it was, and they could see that it was shining the light over top of the military base where there was all kinds of nuclear weapons kept. So at this point, Sergeant um, Adrian Basinza and Burroughs they arrive on the site back where the uh, at, now they're at, back at the Woodbridge where this thing was shining its light over top of where the nuclear weapons and stuff were. As Burroughs got close to the object, it disappeared. So Bazinga, not Bazinga, Bazinga. <laughs> Bazinja asked Burroughs what happened. And he just said, hey, it looked like he was involved with the lights. So what? let me try to paint this picture. So Burroughs goes out there close to this thing. Bazinzas was back. So he watches Burroughs go up and get close to this thing. And what Burroughs remembers is the thing just disappeared. Mm-hmm. But what Bazinzas remembered is... He said that when Burroughs got out there, it was almost like he was doing all this Matrix type shit where he was bending backwards and he was like he was talking to the lights and he was moving his arms and these, this light was uh, enveloping him basically. 
and then it disappeared. But Burroughs didn't remember any of that. He just remembers him going out there and the thing disappearing. So, so apparently there was some kind of interaction with him in this light when he got out there, according to Bazinga. So then the men had no idea that there was a covert operation already taking place uh, on the on the site of where all this happened. So now you got all these major military experts just in a matter of a couple of hours of all this stuff happening. They're out there quarantining stuff. They're investigating. they got trucks moving in and out of the site. And that's kind of where everything kind of was right there. But then, in January 1981, rumors started swirling about the area. Mm -hmm. So this thing, they kind of kept it under wraps. Now, the military investigation that followed was very controversial. Most people feel like that they were more concerned about damage control Mm -hmm. and making sure that people found out what didn't happen as opposed to what really did happen. And all these people that were involved were really scared. One thing that we didn't touch on that is going to be really important, and I kind of left it out on purpose um, earlier, but I told you that Colonel Halt had a tape recorder. Yeah. Now, he's got about a 15, 20-minute recording of when they were chasing this thing through the woods and the hot, the the molten metal and Mm -hmm. uh, all this stuff. He's got a recording of everything that was being said as these guys are chasing this thing. Oh, wow. And it's pretty cool. So if you guys just just look up uh, Colonel Halt, uh, Rendlesham tape, and you'll be able to hear this. It's on YouTube. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, it's actually, it's kind of cool. Why would they put it on YouTube? I mean, when, I guess. Well, they didn't have YouTube back then. Well, I mean, they, I don't, I don't mean, I, okay, of course, <laughs> I know that. But I'm saying, why? Well, it's all out now. I mean, now we're 37, well, well, 37 years into it. I guess I just didn't feel like they wanted everybody to know, but. Well, by now everybody knew. Because now we wouldn't be talking about it. Right. So I need to rewind that whole thing I just said. But according to the to witnesses, that they unwillingly became part of a cover-up. And this is this is where it kind of gets really, really, I, I want to say, technically, it's the kind of stuff, the conspiracy theory stuff, that really makes you question your own government on some of the stuff we're going to hear. Now, Charles Halt began the debriefing. Burroughs said that his interview with Halt was short and to the point. He just said what Halt's explanation was of what happened. He said it was just a strange and unusual thing, and he left it at that. There's just no explanation. Oh, hell. Now, this is the same guy that was running around with the recording well, talking yeah. about, you mm-hmm. know. Now, Pinston said that he had to have his debriefing, and it was two weeks later. They called for another debriefing. So he had the one the first night. Now he's got another one two weeks later. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it was a high-ranking team of investigators called the OSI came in to do the actual, I guess, debriefing this time. They were, These were really powerful people. We're talking about dressed in suits, the whole men in black type concept. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what these guys were. Pinson said that he entered a room. It just felt ominous when he walked mm-hmm. in. It was almost like, you know, he wouldn't know if he was going to make it out of the room. He began to give his stories. He gave his, gave him his sketches. And then he said the rest of the interview was a blur. He said they gave him they gave him shots of sodium pentothal to out. make sure that he was telling the truth. And he's not sure whatever else they even gave him. He's not sure exactly what tactics they used. Uh, but he said they went to great lengths to make sure that he was not lying. Wow. So needless to say, he was really disturbed about 
about these things. Yeah. Now, he also said the investigation took a sinister tone when with several other interviews with the other people. So this wasn't just him. Everybody that saw this thing, they, they started doing these interview. interviews. Mm-hmm. It was more or less like, um, and, and, and when we get to a, the next part, you'll see kind of where all this takes a turn. Now, Sergeant Basinza, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Why don't you just say Sergeant B? Sergeant Bazinga. Yeah. yeah so we'll start calling him Sergeant Bazinga. Okay, everybody So knows. Sergeant Bazinga was taken to a room below the base. And even now, he refuses to talk about anything that happened that night. 37 years later, he won't even talk about what happened that night. Why can't they make him like the other people? Well, they can't make No, I'm saying that they tried. They probably made him. He told everything to them, but he won't talk to the public about what oh, happened okay. that night. Other witnesses said that they were told to drop their stories. A few days later, Burroughs was, was back patrolling. And he saw several vehicles coming in and out of the forest mm-hmm. that there was no reason to. So yeah. obviously they're concerned about something. Yeah. Now Charles Halt said he was aware of the covert action going on, but they never really told him any details. He oh, just knew but, there was stuff going on. Oh, so they didn't even fill yeah, him it's, in. Then. It's his base, and they didn't even fill him. Oh, wow, in. that's rude. They took a bunch of pictures while they were out there, but none of them turned out. Every one of them just like they were. They don't know if they didn't turn out. Because of what went on, but all the pictures were white. Oh. And they think that possibly they were bleached by the government, did it? Or it's just the way they turned out because of radioactivity or whatever the case was. Dang. So Charles Halt was then told that he needed to write an article just basically summing everything up. So he wrote an article called Unexplained Lights. And he was he was asked to just use all the interviews, conduct it, and turn it in so they could have something to put on file. And he was under the impression that what he wrote was going to be shared with the British government. Not the case. That didn't, that didn't happen. But he wrote in there that, you know, about the lights, he wrote about the triangular, he wrote about the, the molten metal, all that stuff was in there. Well, the superiors filed the memo and then the lights never came back. So, I mean, that was for most people, they would say that's kind of the end of it. But it wasn't the end of it, because three years later, after being kept in the dark, in 1983, one of the uh, papers in, in uh, England called the News of the World came out with an article, and the headline was, UFO lands in Suffolk, and that's official. And in that actual newspaper, there was a letter, and guess what that letter was? The one that Charles, Charles Hall wrote, yeah. and... But he didn't give it to him. This was never meant for the public to see. This was strictly confidential. So the article tells a story and includes that letter. And every paper in the UK starts doing stories on it now. Now, if something they kept under wraps for about three years, everybody knows about. And it's making its rounds. And they were like, well, how the hell was it leaked? Well, it was leaked by a guy by the name of Larry Warden. He was a former Air Force security officer. And... Warren said he wanted everybody to know what happened. Everybody needed to know what happened. So did he end up getting fired? Well, he was already gone by this time. Oh. So he Warren said that he was sent in with Halt. Remember I said Halt yeah. had about three different guys mm-hmm. that went in. Mm-hmm. He says he went in with Halt. He, uh, he said that there was three glowing 
humanoid entities. When they went up to the ship, he said that there was three glowing humanoid entities standing outside. Okay. Almost almost like people, but not quite like people. Wouldn't you love to see something like that? Yeah. And he said he said he watched as senior officers begin to communicate with the beings. So his saying is, hey, these, there was some some little aliens out there, and then these guys were communicating somehow. So we don't know how they knew how to. Well, maybe they, they were. You know, but they were communicating. Maybe they were, and they were on Earth. And he said shortly after that, he was pulled from the woods. And then the next day, he was brought in for debriefing um, with a couple of other people, mainly the big shot people. He said he goes in, he's in this room, and the only thing he remembers is there's a projector and three men in, in suits. He said they're showing this film of all these military activities of, of UFOs going back to the 40s is what they're showing up on this projector. He goes in, he's questioned, and the more these questioned, the less he remembers. Damn, that's amazing. And he said it was, it's almost like that little flash thing yeah. from Men in Black. But he said it was taken by force. He was taken to an underground facility, and he just remembers bits and pieces after that. He does remember being on a table. Then he remembers being in like a mess hall and trying to eat. But there was a big gap yeah. in between from what he remembers. He doesn't know if what he remembers is real or what he remembers is planted. He's just not sure at all. This is our government dealing with it. That has to be crazy. I mean, that would make make you insane. Well, now you've got a bunch of the other witnesses that are pissed about all this coming out because Mm -hmm. they kind of really didn't want it to come out. Yeah. And they said that he was lying. They said um, Warren was the only one that said he saw any kind of beans. Nobody remembers him being in the woods. So multiple incredible witnesses, including several officers, said that they remember him from like training and stuff like that. But he had nothing to do with that operation. He was not out in the woods. <laughs> he was so who knows that is insane. what's true, what's not yeah. true. Now, in 2002, uh, some of these declassified documents were released by the British government. And in their investigation, uh, they looked at cameras and they looked at radar and all that. And the problem is that when Halt wrote his letter and stated that it was the 27th, it was or when all this took place the 26th, the night of Christmas, yeah. he stated it was the 27th. So for years, everybody was looking at the wrong date. So all this radar they were doing and weather reports and all that, they were looking at the wrong day because he wrote the wrong day in accident. <laughs> So they had to go back in and start doing all this. But on the U.S. The United States Air Force, their official statement was there was no threat to American security. Okay. That's it. That's their only comment on this whole thing. There oh was my. no threat to wow. them, which I don't know how that can be the case. If you've got, if you've got a unknown aircraft and it's over a base that has tons of nuclear weapons this is during the cold war this was back during the time where russia and the u.s basically hated each other and you know we were beefing up our nuclear they were beefing up their nuclear then there was always that threat of a nuclear war and you know for there to be an unknown entity like this out there and it's shining lights on your military base 
I don't see how that could not be a threat to Yeah. No, security. there's no way that's not a threat. But that's the basic facts. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that we're leaving out, but uh, some of that's intentional uh, because I want the guys from Don't Break the Oath to be able to fill in some of the stuff that, that we didn't fill in. Oh, I know. I cannot wait to hear what they have to say, honestly. This is this is really very interesting. So that's, that's what we got right now. And like I said, uh, I think before we bring them on, I want to have uh, Tracy do a little Portuguese. So let's try that. Now, what we figured out was looking at some rankings today that we had two of our top 10 cities recently hit, which was Brazil and Portugal, and both of them speak Portuguese. So I thought it would be fun to have Tracy say that we love our listeners with a Portuguese twang. So, uh, Tracy, take it away. Nos amamos nosos ovenches. So there you go. Portugal with a twang. Portuguese with a twang. I hope I didn't screw that up, but I really do love our listeners there. So if I butchered it too much, I'm sorry. But we do appreciate you guys listening to us so much. And do us a favor. If you are listening, in, if you're listening in any foreign country, send us an email uh, and just or go to our Facebook page and at uh, Hippoly Horror Stories and send us a message. We'd love to hear from all you guys. That's how we've been able to meet Julie in, in uh, England, and we've been able to meet uh, Heidi in Sweden and uh, Hi- uh, what's her name, uh, Dana in uh, Australia. <laughs> what's her name? That's she get bad at me. Classy. We love you, classy Dana babe. and Lockie. We, do. we love you. We love all you guys. We really do. And I mean, then we've got uh, Karen up in Canada. Yeah. And then uh, we got some people in California, which isn't a different country, but it really seems like a different country most times. And I love that. I wish I, I've never been to California. I would love to go. You know who went to California? Zeppelin. They were going to California. Okay. All right. Anyways, so with no further ado, let's bring on. Uh, I didn't, what? what did I miss? I didn't get that. I know. God love you. Wait. Um, this would be a great opportunity to remind everybody to go to our Facebook page and interact with us. Also, you can find me on Twitter, Hillbilly Horror. Uh, if you'd like to help out the show, you can do that two different ways. You can either buy a T-shirt, which we have several for sale on our website, HillbillyHorrorStories.com, or you can just give a one-time donation, which several of you have done over the past couple of weeks. We greatly appreciate that. It really helps us to uh, pay for this new equipment that we're using and to set up for ScareFest and buy the banners we need. And all kinds of other stuff before we show up there. So we're going to try to get uh, some postcards and stuff made up to be able to hand out to the fans. That is at the end of September, September 30th, 31st, and the 1st. Yes, mucho gracias. Yep. Then come down to see us if you're in the Lexington area. It'd be really cool. And um, also, and we can't mention this enough, one of the ways that you guys can really help the show without costing a penny is to give us iTunes reviews. iTunes reviews is what makes us move up the rankings. It makes us visible to other people looking for shows. When they go and look at a paranormal show, it gives them suggestions of other shows that are similar, and the ones who get all the iTunes reviews are the ones that pop up. So that that helps us get uh, in front of some other fans. So if you can leave us an iTunes review, we greatly appreciate it. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, it's really easy because that's how you already listen to podcasts. If you have an Android phone, you can go to any computer and actually sign up for an iTunes account and leave one on a computer. I don't think there's a way to do it from an Android phone, but you can do it on a computer. So with that being said, we thank you guys for listening. We love you guys. And now we're going to bring on the guys from Don't Break the Oath Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Hillbilly Horror Stories. And uh, I've been setting this up for a couple of weeks now. And, of course, we've got some special guests on the line. 
Uh, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. They're a little hard to understand. They've got accents unlike us. We're the aliens. But on the, on the phone here, we've got uh, Andy and Lee from Don't Break the Oath podcast. Uh, good friends of mine. I've, I've uh, been talking to mainly Lee for the last uh, heck couple of months, and uh, I've really grown to like their show, and I've told you guys about it. I know some of you out there are already listening. Uh, so we thought we'd bring them on because doing a, a Rendlesham show, we can add our insight, obviously, because, you know, we we see the same things everybody else does. But we get to get the perspective of somebody that actually lives there. I mean, these guys are only, a, you know, two, three hours away from where this happened. And, and hopefully they've got some insights that that's not common fare that everybody gets from the YouTube videos or just reading up on it. So without further ado, uh, Andy Lee, welcome to the show. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Hello. And Hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. Now, what we want to start off with, guys, is, is uh, I want you to tell the people who haven't listened or unfamiliar with your show, tell them what the reason that you kind of started the show, how you two guys hooked up, and, and uh, what the show is basically about, what you're wanting to put forth as far as a product out there. Yeah, well, uh, essentially, what, why the reason I started the show is is the, the ridicule, um, you know, if you have a paranormal paranormal experience, because uh, essentially we are a paranormal podcast, but yeah. we do cover other things yeah. and and have interviews and all that. But the you know if you tell somebody you know that just anybody in the street or whatever you've had this encounter or this sighting, then most people give you some shit for it essentially. So what I wanted to do is set up a place where people could um, like a speakeasy, you know, where people could come and tell their encounters and not be judged and i could tell mine and and hopefully you know the people that are tuning in that you know are obviously interested in the subject and can uh, go along with what i'm saying without any ridicule and to be honest with you so far touch wood i've had no bad comments um it's been good on it yeah about yeah, what i've said and all that basically stuff. getting the truth out you know yeah what, that's what, that's what we're aiming to do is you just, know is to break down the beer between the normal and the paranormal if you like because most people won't really uh give out the stories, will they? No. You know, they're hesitant, you know, of being ridiculed, but we know if they come on a show, you know, it's easy listening to it, mm. you know. And we do get a lot of that, um, not necessarily on the show, but people, you know, writing in and stuff saying, um, this is the first time I've told anybody this, you know, and that's really the aim, if you like. Um, it's also so, because yeah. you, you've had experiences, paranormal, so mm. have I as well, so we've both been, you know, kind of... Been there, done it. So, been there, yeah. done it, seen it, experienced it, I'm both still doing it, so... You know, we're, we're just here to basically uh, give out truth, uh, give out the stories, you know, and hopefully hopefully somebody out there will, you know, like us and start listening and then maybe do their own, own research mm. and then they might do their own podcast, you know. So that covers it, doesn't it? <laughs> so let me ask you this. You, you mentioned this kind of, but I, I know you saw a tweet I put out the other day. We had somebody write us and tell us that, they were thankful for the show because it gives them a reason to believe in the afterlife uh, just for their own personal. We've had a couple of situations like that where people have told us that the show actually helps them. Have you guys had very many comments like that where they're thankful that the show exists? Yeah, absolutely. That That's, um, you know, that's the number one sort of feedback that we get is that, you know, people are interested in this subject and you know, these subjects that we do. I mean, some people find us just uh, because they're searching for you know, a particular thing, like uh, the, the lady that contacted us uh, last week show, she actually found us because she was looking for time slip because um, their own encounter uh, involved a, a missing time. 
And so she was looking for time slips, and then she come across us, and then obviously we'd done a show on that where my granddad had his own time slip. So, so there's no ridicule there. You know, I'm saying, look, someone in my family's had this experience, and, uh, and I've laid it on the line, and so she's coming through that door, if you like, because uh, for that reason. So yeah, we get that. We get that, and yeah, you know, that's what it's about, and it's about you know people hopefully uh, being able to open up without the ridicule because you know it's just no need. How do you guys know each other? Well, we um, for work, isn't it? Yeah. when it work. Um, so I think it was just one day. We was, I was, I think he was talking a subject, wasn't he? And then mm. I talked to subject, and he was like, "Well, we're talking the same stuff here." Yeah. So I was like, "We just clicked." No, I well, didn't know what you was into. Yeah. And you didn't know what I was into. So uh, you know, because say since I've been little, I've been a, I've been seeing ghosts. That, well, I still am, but you know, since I've been little, I've been seeing ghosts. And, I, and when I was young, I was given the old tablets, and I went to the old psychiatrist, and I, and I was I was nutty, and you know, so uh, it's you know, um, it's it's like a I don't know, sometimes you just, you're meant to meet, yeah. you know what I mean? You're meant yeah. to meet sometimes, you're meant to meet people at certain times, certain place, and that's say, then bang, this is the show, so, you so, know. Yeah. So everybody comes on uh, about ghost uh, ghost stories, and all, you know, they call me uh, a loony, and, you know, you say, no, hey, hang on a minute, you're not a loony, you know, you're not, you know, it's, so, so I have to tell your story. So that's really, yeah, so that's essentially what I'm saying, so. All right, well, that's... Um... You know, that, that's the best way to set something up is people that know each other. That's originally how this show started with somebody that I used to work with. And we used mm-hmm. to have those conversations, and that's how all this came about. And I think I think for most of these podcasts, no matter what genre it's on, if it's two people talking, there's usually some type of a connection like that where they just they found out they've got the same interests and, and the conversations between them are so good. It's like, man, if you can put this on tape, you know, mm-hmm. people would probably want to listen to it. Well, that's it. I mean, imagine how many conversations are had all the time where you know nobody gets chance to listen to them. And I bet there's I bet there's interesting people out there that have had encounters and all sorts of things, and they just never just never get it off the chest, you know. And I say, be, yeah, and I say before, I'm, uh, where before, when I met Lee, you know, before before I met Lee, you know, I, I never knew about Bigfoot or Dogman. I didn't know nothing about it until I did my research. Go, wow, well, there it is. Wow, you mm-hmm. know. I was just into ghosts, going ghost hunting and doing psychic readings and all that stuff. And but I didn't, never knew about, you know, what some of the stuff they were saying. So hopefully, know? yeah. So the podcast, you know, yours and yours and ours, has the potential to open people's eyes. To that's it. That's what it opens your mind as well. And it's not yeah. necessarily uh, forcing people to believe things. It's just laying down the facts, and then people judge for themselves, don't they? So we just can't put say the stories out. That, can put, you? We, we did the research, put the stories out, and hopefully somebody will say, "I like that." You know. Like, mm. So it's. Were you talking about case? Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, in another case, it went the other way where somebody actually um, run into a dogman. I don't know if you're aware what a dogman, um, you know, these canine cryptids that people see. Well, someone actually uh, crashed the car into one of them uh, just up the road from us. And he, that had happened 30 years ago. And he was thinking about it for 30 years. He never knew what it was until he heard us talking about it. And then he then he put two and two together, and he, he, he actually told the, show, the story on the show. But he um, he realised what he hit, and that was you know that had been going around his head for thirty years. And he never told anybody because he didn't you know how can you tell someone that you just run into a, a you know a seven foot tall dog? Um, it's hind legs. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> so it works you know. both ways, you know. Swings and roundabouts. That's cool. What I was going to mention, while we're on that subject, you guys did a show. Um, 
you know, on this dog, man, I listened to that. But one of the t- things Topic Shop brought up, and this is something that we don't hear. We have dog men here in the States that people talk about. You had the Beast of Bray Road and a yeah. couple yeah. others that are essentially the same thing. But you guys have something that we really don't hear much about over here as much, and that's uh, um, hellhounds, uh, those type of, of cryptids over there. Why don't you mm. touch on that for a few minutes? I know one of the hounds of the Baskerville was basically based on that. Uh, yeah, it's but based on choice, yeah. That, you yeah. know, you guys are a lot older country than what we are, so there's so many more folklores and legends and stuff that comes out of out of Great Britain. But touch mm. on uh, touch on hellhounds for a few minutes. Hellhounds, yeah. Uh, see, I think up until recently, you know, these dogman sightings where people are having, you know, in the UK would have been all sort of categorized as, as hellhounds. hellhounds. Yeah, and a lot of people see black, you know. They see a black shape, and we're, we're meant to have these black, you know, like what you call panthers running around, there, you know, and they're obviously elusive. But a lot of people put it down to these black cats. Uh, but actually, when you look, dig into the details of what people see, and uh, not only that, but the footprints as well, because a lot of footprints get, t- you know, photographed and that, and they go down as canine footprints. And actually, when you look at them closely, they're not. They're actually dog, they're a canine footprints, uh, not feline, and they've got dew claws and all the rest of it. So people mistaken what they're seeing uh, and that, that goes some aspects of the hellhound if you like is uh, superstition uh, and all that but it's also trying to give a name to something that was unknown at the time and you've got cases uh, you know like uh, black shuck you've probably heard of where this you know essentially werewolf looking creature runs into a uh, a church in east angular and uh, during a lightning yeah. storm and, yep. and, and, and uh, kills a few people inside and then runs out and then the church collapses around him. So, you know, these stories go way back. And again, in Cambridge, people are seeing, uh, not so much now, it's not getting reported as much, but it does get reported from time to time, you know, the old truck driver and that driving past. We'll see these creatures in ditches um, and all that. And they normally notice the glowing eyes first. Obviously, sometimes they see them at night. Occasionally, they run across the road. But I think... You know, that all goes down to hellhounds. But yeah, I, think, I think that's most of the movies, isn't it? You know, people yeah. watch us in the movies and think, oh, it's a demon. Yeah, it's a demon. Yeah. It's, a hell. It's, it's not real. It's, it's, a demon. it's from the Satan. It's from Satan. It's not. But it's, it's a creature, a living but creature. But I think, uh, like you say, know. hellhounds per, per se are probably now dog probably man. more understood, you know, better as being dogmen. So. But. Especially around, uh, I say, where we have the waters and the, mm. the canals and the lake. That's where obviously. It's... Well, even that, you know, just up the road from us, uh, just over the bridge in Hull, uh, that way on, there was two uh, like safe houses built. It was just what, like what, sixteen? Oh yeah, we were talking about one. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, they actually built two on this road. And actually, one of the people who uh, stayed at this house said that the place was built to protect people from wolves and other creatures. So. Again, we're not talking about, you know, wolves were the biggest threat that, you know, we've got in the UK at the time. Obviously, we don't have any wolves now, but at the time we did. And it even states in there that we, it was protect from wolves and other creatures. So what are these other yeah. creatures, you yeah. know? Um, so, yeah. the building one, but they protect them from it. So that's, uh, see, that's, that's something that adds a different light. I guarantee most people in the States did not, did not know that. No, not at all. So that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I was hoping. That's, that's right there, the things that you guys can add uh, that, that we can't know over here. Those, these are things that's just part of your history, and mm-hmm. it's pretty cool to be able to learn some of that stuff. So speaking of some of your history, let's jump into this Rendlesham thing. So I thought what we yeah. would do uh, is, you know, this thing stretched over a couple of nights, period. 
mm-hmm. and a couple of three actually. And just tell me a little bit because you you guys got to hear what we talked about. Give us your take on what happened. Fill in some blanks that I'm sure we missed. Uh, but let's start with day one. Yeah, because uh, the, the common uh, misconception of this is that it happened over two nights, um, but actually it was over three nights. The, yeah. the final night being the 26th to the 27th, and that's the Holt night, which is the you know the famous one. But um, the key points, really, you know, I've got a list here of key points. What well, I think are key points, anyway, um, and obviously I've got on the first. I've actually got a key point before we get into the first night, which is the fact that the the case was buried for three years. Um, so straight away there was, um, you know, the cover-up started immediately, if you like. So that alludes to something unusual happened, you'd think. Um, then we get, so, so yeah, so we go into first night then. So we've got four guys here stationed at the East Gate who see lights over the forest, okay? And those people were Peniston, Burroughs, Stevens, and Cabanza. They all see strange lights, uh, and it was uh, Burroughs, uh, Peniston, and another fellow who went out to investigate. And it immediately takes a strange turn at that point, which you covered, you know, where he, com- where he thinks he's seeing Christmas lights, uh, and obviously he comes up to the crash. Uh, what? Sorry, what he thinks is a crashed aircraft, but it turns out to be a landed aircraft. Now... Straight away, it gets strange because when they get back to the base and report what they see, they, they leave out key details because they don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Again, they don't want to. They're, they're unfair of their jobs, and I know you covered that ridicule as well. In the ridicule so. factor, yeah. but he um, he actually states that the, he was missing forty five minutes. He was if he was at the craft for what he felt like a few minutes, uh, and obviously they're missing forty five minutes. So straight away, you know that's not unusual in UFO cases, um, but the. The key point, really, for that first night, for me, is that Peniston goes home that night. I think Burroughs took him home. Uh, I think they'd lived Ooh. sort of in Ipswich together, and he'd give him a lift home, and, and Peniston got home, but he just couldn't shake what he'd seen. And he actually goes to a mate and gets some plaster of Paris um, and goes back to the site to cast the depressions where this, you know, the landed object had landed and it made three de- depressions in the ground, triangle shape. And he actually cast those three depressions. Um, I think he's still got two of them. He says that one of them went missing. Uh, he was in an eternal flight in the States, and one of them was taken out of his luggage, apparently. So he's still got two of them uh, cast. But again, he, he, he doesn't tell anybody about this. Uh, but when he's, he's there casting those casts, the local police turn up. So again, we've got this situation where the cover-up is already ongoing because there's no reports of the police being there, even though he's photographed in the photographs. Mm. So, you know, that's sort of the summing up of night one, if you like. But again, you know, even if it was just based on that one night, you know, that's a hell of a story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that you can already see from the, from the very beginning, even before the famous Charles Halt stuff came up, they were already starting to cover up. Mm, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And I think later when we get to the Holt stuff and that, the, the preparedness, if you like, of Hull, you know, and his team, the Geiger counters, the lights go yeah. up and all that, so sort of shows that there was half expecting this to happen. And I think I know why, but I'll come on to that later. Um, so, yeah, so that's night one. Well, uh, is there anything else to say on night one? I mean, did I miss anything? Or, do, you know, do you want to move on to night two? 
Well, I mean, I think what, what the audience would really like to know at this point is have either one of you been anal probed by... <laughs> well, not by anal. No, no, I've anyway. <laughs> He's been talking about anal probe a lot lately. I think he's hitting something. Well, I mean, why go through the trouble of being anal probed and missing all kinds of time and having all the psychological problems when I can go right to the prostate doctor, get it taken care of in one visit, and the insurance pays for it? That's all I'm saying. It, yeah. it just it just makes you um, wonder, though. You know, aliens. You know, I mean, why would they want to do all that stuff? You know what I mean? If they're if they're higher minds, they've high got high technology. Why the hell would they yeah, want to like, like, No, they they must know about us anyway. Mm. The, yeah, but what these, do you, what these do you, beings have been here for millions of years. But what before. do you give to the person who's got everything? You know what I mean? Well, it's the odd, the odd encounter where he can aid yeah, probe someone. You know, I mean, this is come on, yeah, or socks. You know, socks. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. That and you, no, they talk about fertility yeah, tests. Just, and... just, there's no aliens to me. Can you know? Obviously, I've had, I've, I've done a bit of digging as well. And, hey, we haven't gone as far as saying this is alien yet. Well, no, well, it's going to be also. No, well, well, people, I know, people being thrown up to me, time travelers. You know, mm, coming well, back. Yeah, that comes into it later. Yeah, that, that definitely. That, that that really blew me away, and I thought, what time so, travelers um, coming back? So, what do you know about night two then? Well, now are we talking? Do you consider night two the the uh, the halt night, or is that night three? That's night three. See, I know, not, I know yeah. nothing about night two. Yeah, so night two uh, again, not a lot happens, but a lot happens. You know, so you got um, you got this lady. Uh, she was stationed again at the East Gate. Uh, a, a, a officer by the name of Laurie uh, Bowen, and she saw lights again over the forest. Now. That forest is about, I think it's, I think the trees were about 40 foot tall at the time. Um, but she said she could see the lights over the forest. And again, so we're not talking about the lighthouse, mm. which comes into play later on. Um, so she sees these lights and she reports them. Uh, and she gets hold of the security team. And the, the person who's closest on patrol is, just happens to be the deputy base commander, I think her name uh, she was, Lieutenant Ta- uh, Tamplin. So she goes to investigate. So she drives up the logging road as far as she can go. And she stops at the end of the logging road and she turns to the left and she sees this ball of light coming towards her. And again, you know, Holt mentions this later on, but she sees this ball of light coming towards her and she says it come in one side of the uh, the vehicle, passed past her and then passed out the, the, other, ve- the other window of the vehicle and uh, flew into the distance. And obviously, she's distraught by this. She gets on the radio and there's corroborating uh, witnesses to this radio call. Uh, saying that they heard her say all this over the radio, that she'd just seen this, witnessed that. And um, she comes back to the base, and actually she, re- she was rele- relieved of duty that night. Never seen again. No. She's um, so far on record, no one can get hold of her to, to take her account. So make her that what you will. She just disappeared. Now, you know, now that you've said this, and I guess it didn't click to me that this was night two, I've heard uh, Charles Halt talk about her, and he said that he wasn't aware that this even happened until years after the fact. And yeah. supposedly she had a nervous breakdown, I guess, and then suddenly yeah. she was moved to another country or something. Mm. And again, like I say, no one's been able to track her down, so she's probably, um, you know, she could have a different name or anything, couldn't she? But she's... For whatever reason, she's um, well. I mean, something like that could could absolutely frighten you. It's going to uh, to not want to talk about it. Something as profound as that. So, well, and we all you, know that women aren't as uh, good at handling pressure as men are. 
So that doesn't really surprise me that, that mm-hmm. the woman would crack while all the men kept theirs. But, uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and let you guys finish. I'm sorry. Yeah, let me talk you upside the head. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I wouldn't be so brave to say that with a lady in the room. I'll get a bottle on the head. For all of our women listeners, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd just like also like to say as well, I mean, I've been doing a bit of research as well, and... Uh, the, uh, we did, didn't we? Suffolk and uh, Randlesham, all that. It's around that area. Mm. I mean, I, I'd even gone back to the 13th century for these sightings. You know, obviously, this is UFO, Randlesham is mm. UFO. But um, of, of light orbs and yeah. black cats, demon dogs. You know, mm. I've had uh, headless monks. You've had, ah, oh, I've had a, one, uh, one woman, a uh, ghostly woman with no face. She rides a bike around Randlesham. Uh, yeah. And if you're lucky to see her, she shrieks and wails at you. Uh, be, that would be fun, I suppose. Uh, but there's been all sorts of oh, um, everything. Ghosts, paranormal, paranormal is, is absolutely yeah. a paranormal. The forest itself is, yeah, it's, it's uh, very active. Seems to be very active. Very so. active today as well. Who, who knows if that plays into it? Really. Uh, you know, so did them people on the base of that night? Did they know some bits about the forest that could be some orbs? Or there's been loads of white mist as well. Mm. Uh, you know, recorded from witnesses, white mist. So, but, yeah, so the paranormal is, you know, pretty abundant round there. So, but obviously, in yeah, my mind, that night, that, that night in Rendlesham was definitely a, a UFO. Mm. Yeah. So that's so that's uh, night two. That's Tamplin, and uh, yeah, it's like say she had a nervous breakdown or whatever, and uh, not heard from since. Yeah. So, so really, you know, by this time, two nights, this has happened, and obviously, it's got round the base, uh, and again. When we move on to night three, I think the preparedness of Holt's team, you know, with having the, you know, everything in position ready to go, t- sort of tells you that there was ex- not expecting it to come back, but if it come back, they wanted to be prepared, you know? Absolutely. Mm. So then we get on to the third night then, yes. Yeah? So that's the famous Holt night and uh, <clears throat> his uh, tape. You know, his famous uh, tape, that's actually on YouTube. You can go and listen to it, uh, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought it was. But, um, again, we can break it down in, you know, into the increments, if you like. But, essentially, the, the, the main points of the night is that they see uh, move moving objects under the canopy. So, again, you know, because the orphanless lighthouse gets uh, brought up, you know, by the skeptics quite a lot. The scene of skeptics will... He actually um, actually says he's been back to the site and he's a, you know he's documented going back to the site. He's caring a lot, and he's actually said, "Look, I can see the lighthouse. It's there. This object was you know a few degrees away from it, so he knew he knew what he was looking at." But there is one part in the tape where he sees the light and he says, um, "There it is. There it is again. There it is again." And people have put that side by side with a lighthouse, and it just it just coincides with the rotation of the lighthouse. So it's easy for skeptics to say, well, he was obviously looking at the lighthouse because, you know, because of that. So, I mean, but if you had any, any one cell, yeah, one, one brain cell, you know, it's not the lighthouse. Well, yeah, I mean, these people you were know, stationed there for a while. So, yeah. um, and actually, I yeah. think it was um, was it Burroughs and Pennison on the first night when they returned that they, they could see the lighthouse. So they knew they weren't looking at the lighthouse, and they actually make a point of saying that a few times. It was not the lighthouse. Yeah, because I think Burroughs, I think Burroughs said that the second time that they saw something, it was actually the lighthouse, but they realized quickly that's what that was. That's right, yeah. That's the first night, in it? So we, we know these people, I mean, God, you'd be, you'd be pretty 
pretty fucking worried, wouldn't you? If, they, <laughs> if they, these guys, you know, patrolling and scoring a alleged nuclear facility um, or nuclear weapons, anyway. But, yeah, you know, so, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a couldn't tell the difference between a lighthouse and something uh, foreign, you know. Well, and, well, he, and even if that was the case. It, it only explains some. I mean, that doesn't explain seeing a football-shaped object darting in between trees, dripping no. molten metal. Mm. It doesn't ex- say, show that uh, the ray of light that would shine down upon them or go over top of the, the nuclear facility and shine down on it. You know, that the lights are designed to do one thing, and it's not shine straight down onto something after it's never yeah. done it before. I mean, that's just, you know, you, you can only ex- use that as an excuse for so much. Absolutely, but they they do. But um, yeah, so just breaking breaking down the whole tape then, and, and obviously what's happened on that night. Obviously, like I, I was referring to earlier, the readiness. You know, they, they're going out with Geiger counters, the star scope. Yeah, uh, they've got the light holes ready. Even though the light holes, when they took them out, they didn't work, did they? Initially, they had to go and fetch another one. And the light hole is just basically um, one of these uh, gas generated generator lights you know what you can just put up like on um, motorways or whatever yeah the big spotlights uh, you know when you work and that i guess you, you have the same over there yeah? yes but um yeah so the geiger counter obviously plays a part because it uh, i think it was one twenty-five in the morning so this will be the morning of the 27th i believe yeah. they go out obviously the light all fails so that's a problem but they can see the lights they follow it and they find where there's, uh, and I know you alluded to this earlier on, but they find the landing site. Uh, and again, it's, it's the spot straight away. And I mean, this is nighttime in a forest and they spot these indentations, three indentations in the ground. So again, they're going out there expecting to find this, I would say. Because, I mean, to find three indentations in the ground at night, it's pretty tricky, isn't it? Yeah, especially when your lights aren't working properly. <laughs> exactly. I've yeah. got my torch like this point. So obviously they know what they're looking for, which, again, you know, makes you wonder what's really going on. But um, obviously the Geiger counter gives off readings at the three points and also the trees on the trees facing the landing site and not on the back of the trees, which is interesting. Um, so only the, you know, the side facing the landing site, that's the only place you get radiation readings. Um and again, they see branches on the ground, and they look up, and there's a hole in the canopy. So obviously, something comes straight down. And again, you know, something coming straight down. But again, uh, Holt later on says that you can see lights moving through the forest, and uh, uh, UFOs. Uh, that's been, you know, that's widely reported that they'll change shape. Uh, you know, go. I mean, in my own UFO sighting, that's exactly what happened in mine. It was a ball of light, and then when a split second, it appeared as a craft. So, not unusual, but makes you wonder what sort of technology we're talking about when they can do things like that. Um, so, all that goes on. Uh, they're getting the uh, latent heat off the trees with a starlight scope. Uh, Later on in the night, 1.48, farm animals go mad. Again, this is where they start seeing the flashing red light. And that, again, he says it's about a quarter of a mile away, but he sees a red light. He says it forms the shape under the star, star scope, which is basically a night vision. Night vision, yeah. They can see the outline of the objects, and he said it was an eye shape, and it had a black void in the middle. And at some points on the tape, he actually says it looked like it was winking at him. 
but he does say that it was dropping molten metal, um, which some people, Peter Pageant for one, later goes on to say that what this UFO was there for was to destroy or, you know, to render useless the nuclear, uh, alleged nuclear missiles that were there. And uh, the the dropping of this molten metal, what they could see, was possibly this this core, this fuse, what they're taking out, the, taking out these missiles. So, But no um, metal was ever found, uh, as far as we know. So, yeah, you know, another unusual point. That's what I was going to say. I know he, he said himself on the interview that they went out looking because it was dripping, so they, they should be able to find something, but they could never find anything. Mm. It makes you wonder if it's some sort of energy that was seeing rather than the metal, I guess. But unless they, unless somebody come in afterwards and cleared it up, because you know, yeah, you just don't know. Up, that's it. The cover up. You know what I mean? Holt at this point probably only knows as much as we do. You know. Um. Well, hopefully. But um. Yeah. So I guess then we move on to a bit later in the night. And again, this at this point. One of the objects splits into five objects. That's so again, a, that's over the field. Isn't yeah, it? so again, we're not talking about a lighthouse here. And I think it was two to the north and one to the south. Uh, again, so we're talking about two points of reference. And this is where it flies back towards him. And you can hear him say on the tape, it's coming towards us, it's coming in. And, and then all of a sudden it shines a beam of light down to him. And again, from all the sci-fi, sci-fi movies, we know exactly what that looks like, but... It being it beams, and actually Holt's on record as saying he, he took that as a a hostile act almost because you know you got this unknown craft shining a beam of light down a few inches away from your your feet you know it, well, it, it doesn't sound good does it no yeah, it's like a warning sort of you'd say so wouldn't you uh, and again looks into a direction and he sees the same this is about four in the morning now sees the um, UFO beaming into Woodbridge Base. You know, the beams of light coming down from the UFO. So, um, and that's where people say that this UFO was there looking at the nuclear weapons. And I guess, really, when you, you know, when you boil all this down, what else would it be there for? I just think it was there to make them all inert. That's it. Mm. And again, I think it was there to just beamed it down. Well, technology they've got just made all the nukes inert. That's mm. it. It's not just... So uh, that's basically night three. Um, well, what, I think what catches me really is this 45 minute uh, loss mm. missing time missing time 45 minutes I he guess got back to the base he was missing 45 minutes now what happened in that 45 minutes yeah you I guess uh, the aftermath of all this is obviously it, it gets out into the public domain and that's when the sceptics jump on board with your lighthouse fairies and all the rest of it but um if I told you this, right? If I, because this is what skeptics never do. This is this is the big thing that they never do. They never look for patterns or anything like that. So if I said to you, um, object seen over Air Force Gate, yeah, um, red in colour, dripping molten, what looks like molten metal, um, missing time, and missiles shut down. You'd say I was talking about yeah. You'd, if you if I said all that to you, you'd say I was talking about and possibly at Rendlesham. Yeah, but that I'm not. I'm talking about the 1967 Melstrom Air Force Base in Montana, Great Falls, Montana. Again, so you've got exactly the same description, exactly the same event happening. Um, you know, yeah. 
years prior to this. So that's what skeptics never do. They never look for patterns. They look at one case in isolation and try and debunk it. You know, you know. In this case, it was the lighthouse. But that's the sort of thing for me. What lends weight to these sorts of cases in any sort of paranormal case? And I, I, I never like to. Obviously, you've got to some extent. You've got to look at it in isolation, but. If you know there's patterns which are going on in other bases, and this wasn't just going off in American bases, this was going off in Russian bases as well at the same time. Um, obviously, we late found that out later on as well, because obviously yeah. one side couldn't tell the other that they'd lost their nuclear capability um, for obvious reasons. Flex the muscles no more, could they? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's an interesting point to know. And then you've got, again, the, during the aftermath, you've got. Um, Obviously, the way uh, everyone trekked uh, Larry Warren, and he was the guy who leaked it, and the way he's been trekked, because he's the only one uh, who say that he saw beings, you know, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, because, like, you know, that's, that is interesting because there there's so much to do with him. He's the one that leaked the story. He's the one that said he saw beings. You know, it's a discrepancy whether he was in the force, not in the force, while everybody agrees that he was part of the Air Force at the time, but on mm. the base and during the training, but never out there with all that. You know, there is a lot to discuss with him. Mm. And he says that, well, his account says that when he approached, uh, this is night three, when he approached Holt, Holt and there were some guys with video cameras and all sorts of things going on, but he said that Holt, Holt and uh, some other high-ranking officials, I guess, were talking to three extraterrestrials. Um, and he's mostly the only person who reports beings, apart from when you get to the hypnosis sessions, which are pretty interesting, when Peniston recalls talking to some beings. Um, I don't know if you mm. want to tell him about that. Yeah, well, we did that on... Uh, I, I, I look at this. I don't know... I mean, I've been looking at this uh, a little bit, but I thought I'll have a look. This this was in... I did a lot of research, and this one came up. Uh, Peniston apparently had a uh, regression hypnosis in September 1994. Now, this is it, because I, I would have thought he would have said this. But anyway, um, i got a transcript, a part of the transcript here, and it says, Jim Peniston, uh, they asking me if I see binary code. I see the binary code. They are time travellers. They are us. And the hypnotherapist says, how found the future? Jim says, a long time, very long time. He says, what do they want? And Jim Penson says, not sure, but it has has to do with chromosomes or something like that. And the hypnotherapist says to him, how do they get that? And Jim says, they take it. He said, from where? And he says, from the other people's bodies. They were interrupted. They are having problems. The odds are against them. And it goes on a bit more, a bit more. But what basically he's saying is time travellers. So... I guess that's alluding to us coming back from the future, which is, you know... A, a so it's all about people, uh, yeah, people's chromosomes mm. and their bodies and... Uh, but this is... I think this is night one, uh, you know, when he touched the craft. Right. Because he... Yeah, he does, he, no, he does say about the binary code. Yeah. They're asking me if I see binary codes. I do see the binary code. So that's probably alluding to the, the fact that he says he got some sort of mental download and later on the binary code comes out. Uh, he, he jots it down, doesn't he? But um, yeah, so hypnosis again. You know that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that goes back to we touched on back uh, 
barely in the story when we were telling the the background is he did say he saw these zeros and ones, which was a computer code or a binary code. And, and, you know, we didn't really expand on that too much, but, you know, he went back and was writing. Supposedly he could remember all these zeros and ones all in the order and was basically just, yeah, six pages of just writing all of them down. And those things eventually were looked at by experts that, and I can't, I wish I'd remembered the answer, but I mean, there was like six different experts from different countries that all looked at this and they all came to the same conclusion on what it meant. And I don't, I, I don't remember what it was that it meant. So it's really pointless for me to bring it up. Yeah, well, I can probably help you out there. I think I remember it was um, uh, one of the well, the, the key points where it was the part where it said Explor- exploration of the of humanity continuous for planetary advance. That's right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. See, I, I knew it was great so, having yeah, you guys on the show. Go on, you saying? I said I knew it's great having you guys on the show. I knew you'd be able to fill in the blanks I didn't have. Yeah, but but see. The binary code itself is controversial because he didn't. He didn't actually. I mean, he mentions it in '94, but he don't actually. Re, he don't actually produce mm. the, the documents till I think it was like 20 years after the event. So again, people saying, "Well, if he had this sort of evidence, why didn't he, you know, produce it right at the beginning?" But in his defence, he says he doesn't. He didn't understand what it was at the time, which you know, noughts and ones. You wouldn't, would you? Um, you wouldn't, but you would think there's got to be some kind of importance. I mean, that would, you know, if I had six pages worth of nothing but, uh, you know, zeros and ones, I would think it was kind of important to bring up to somebody. Yeah. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Well, you don't. So, again, that's why it's pretty controversial. Um, and to some to some extent, people say it harms the case um, in, in, you know, later on producing this because obviously, you know, which is understandable. But one of the things that did come out in the binary code was some uh, coordinates and, um, you know, Northwest coordinates. And it actually, when they put them into a computer, it actually centered right on high Brazil. Um, do you know about high Brazil? Briefly, but won't you explain to me because I, you'll probably give me a better insight than what I already have. Yeah. I thought Tracy was going to say she knew. It <laughs> <laughs> but, um, essentially high Brazil is, uh, um, if you if you're familiar with Atlantis, it's essentially it's a similar um, island. It's off the island. It's, sorry, it's off island. It's an island off island. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but it's a little island where the the, the locals said these people had um, an enormous amount of wealth. They had run, hot run, hot and cold running water, um, and all this you know high technology. And then one night it was there. Next night it was gone. Gone. So again, we're same with um, the legend of Atlantis type thing, and we're talking yeah, about we're just talking one island, not Atlantis itself. Yeah, this is one island, island but it's a little. Yeah. But it, I mean, it was a advanced civilization that lived there, and so them coordinates in the binary code coming out over that particular spot, which you know some people think Atlantis and all that's aliens as well, is um, strange. I'd say. Well, tell yeah. me, tell me a little bit about your guys' opinions of the whole hypnosis thing of, of actually going in and, and cause I know Burroughs went through some hypnosis. Uh, I know, uh, Penniston went through some and both of them had some major breakthroughs in, in what came out. But what, what are your thoughts on, on how believable that is? Um, I think it happened. I think, it, I think they went in and not, not, I'm not saying interrogation, but yeah. I think, I think the, 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 uh, the, the government or the powers or whoever it was, they want to know 
what they actually saw, mm. you know, really saw. So that was all sort of blanked out in the mind. Yeah, and, once they found out the information, yeah. zip, get it out of his mind, blank it, that's it. That's, so, it, that's my personal opinion. Hopefully the, the hypnosis sort of uh, resurfaced their memories. I mean, the only, again, like I say, the hypnosis aspect of it, I take with a pinch of salt um, because really it's, it's not great testimony. It wouldn't stand up in court, would it? No. But um, the only bit of interest, really, what what stands out, apart from what we talked about, about the time traveling aspect of it as well, but the, the, the one key note, I suppose, from the hypnosis session with Penniston is that he mentions he can hear the people that are interrogating him, the name, because the hypnotist asks him the name uh, who's interrogating him, and he says, I can hear the name. They're obviously in, in a different room. He said, I can hear them talking. And it says, they're saying the name is DSA or CA. And so, obviously this is, this is in uh, 1994. And it won for another, was it 10 years or something like that, when the documents came out from the MOD, uh, you know, over in the UK, where they actually referred to this unit called DSA and said that they were handling the situation. So, you know, it corroborates what he was saying under hypnosis, and so whether he, you know, so I guess you've got to, you've got to assume that he didn't know that, you know, that wasn't a memory. It was, it was something that was brought out from hypnosis. So, but you know, that, that's pretty interesting to me, but the rest of it, I'm not so sure. So let's do this as we approach the end of this interview. And mm-hmm. I, I do want to tell everybody out there listening, if you like what you've heard, this is pretty much exactly how their podcast goes. This is just like the last 40 minutes or so. It's just like listening to their podcast. So, uh, you guys, if you've liked this, you'll really love it. And, and you guys have 30 some episodes to be able to go back and binge on, uh, when, the, when these guys find out what are, what are some, tell, tell me some of the past topics you guys have done to the listeners here. I know you've done some UFO stuff and you've done the, the, uh, uh, dog man's, but talk about some of the other uh, topics you guys have discussed. Well, um, we've done some, uh, we've done the chubacabra, chubacabra. We did the GD one as well, a, a bit of the old uh, myth on the genie, and uh, yeah, that was that was good fun. Um, yeah. Time slips, we done we done quite a lot. Dog man, dog man, a couple of times. I've also before. done. I think when I first, we first got together, I did a uh, one of the astral realms, you know, the, the realms mm. of the Earth and the uh, stuff and all that. So, um, Bigfoot, you did Bigfoot. Sorry? I said you did Bigfoot. You had a guest on talking about Bigfoot, Bigfoot just recently. Yeah, Bigfoot. Well, Maria came on, Maria, Maria Wheatley. Yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, it really yeah. was. Yeah, you know? that, that was something unique, really. Yeah, you listen to that. Uh, Maria Wheatley on talking about Stonehenge and the elongated skulls found there, which, again, <clears throat> the last person who saw them skulls was 1930 before she laid eyes on them. So, again, it's another part of the cover-up. Not just well, I'm not going to say not yeah. just aliens, but who knows? <laughs> it's, it was in the movies, wasn't it? Where you know where, where the Romans came and they found all the Britons was all animals, and you know there's all you know everything else. And but apparently it wasn't like that. Mm. You know, the Britain was it was a very beautiful place run by the Druids, priests, priests and priestesses, wasn't it? Mm. So you know, so so. It's, it's it's fascinating when you get these people. But all sorts of shit. I mean, shadow men, shadow people. Yeah, that, that was shadow mm. men. Yeah. Um, and again, most of the shows that we do are, are in some way linked to experiences um, that we've had or, you know, the shadow people. I saw one of those. So that's why we did that. Obviously, the UFO stuff. I've seen one of those. So that's why we did that. You know, shit, shit like that. We, did, we all did, did Atlantis, didn't we? We did a couple of parts of Atlantis mm. and the... Yeah, the human origin, Human origins of Atlantis. Oh. And... Somewhat for everybody. 
So let's let's end on this, guys. If you had to give a brief, each of you give a brief ending to whether you believe or what you believe actually happened at Rendlesham Forest. Mm, yeah, uh, definitely UFO or alien encounter, whatever you want to call it. I don't think it's. Uh, I've got different opinions on UFOs, Joey, and aliens. Um, so. I'm going to go for definitely UFOs, but I believe that it's uh, not off-world. I think it's here. Mm. It, I mean, it, you don't know, do you? I mean, it could be Russian stuff. Yeah. It could be any. I mean, well, it makes you, you wonder. You don't know what technology these yeah. superpowers, are, supposedly superpowers, have got. I mean, they could just be toys. Mm. You know, I'd go along with that. I think um, I think there's enough evidence here uh, with the with the casts. Uh, obviously, all the corroborating witness testimony, the documents that have been released, um, the trail that's there now. I know that was someone else, but, you know. Um, I think something happened. I think the the UFO um, was essentially that. Again, I can't say for sure who was occupying it, if anybody was. could just be some sort of drone, couldn't it? But um, it does make me wonder why they're so interested in our nuclear weapons, if allegedly the nuclear weapons were there. But um, no, I'd have to I'd have to go down with uh, something happened, and it was obviously for the cover up and all the rest of it to take place. It must have been foreign, uh, whether that was alien or not. Possible. Yeah. You'd have to say. I mean, also my take on it is that high, um, high I know chance. we've got different views, but I firmly believe that no nuclear uh, strike will ever ever happen on this planet. Mm. Well, uh, they, they well, don't it, seem to want it. These right? powers want it to happen, mm. but it seems these other beings. Say no, you will not play with the matches. Mm. You know to me. So, so I know um, war and kill each other. What you want to do? But no nuclear weapons will ever be. I know, um, Jerry, you're not some massive into the UFO uh, accounts and all the rest of it. So, what, what do you what do you take from this? Do you where do you sign on it? I think I'm pretty much with you guys. Uh, I mean, I've never really thought about the, the nuclear uh, interference um, from aliens. Uh, but that, I mean, actually is a concept that's worth looking into. But I, I think pretty much the way you guys do that something happened. Uh, I don't think it was, you know, a, a craft from the Soviet Union yep. or anything like that. I think it was definitely something from, from uh, another planet, another universe, um, whatever the case may be. I, I, I think we're pretty arrogant to even think that there's not life outside of us. Uh, it's mm. just stupid, to be honest with you. Uh, anybody who thinks that way, you know, how can how can we be know so little about all the other galaxies and stuff out there? I mean, just recently we're starting to find other planets that are similar to Earth, and we've only got a small reach uh, to be able mm. to even see where some of these planets are. I, there's universes out there that we couldn't even fathom exist. So, and then you've got to go for the wormholes as well, and yeah, from the yeah. Theories, you know, from there. So, <laughs> and they're the planets that they tell us about. Yeah. But, well, BBC is a, there's at least six billionaires in the mm, system, yeah. Wow. So, but that's well, that's why I started the show. With usually, I'm not fascinated so much with the the alien stories and the UFO sightings, just because to me that's just you know it might as well be a plane. As far as I'm concerned, I'm convinced they're out there. It doesn't surprise me anybody sees them. Um, yeah, exactly. And to be honest with you, I'm the same way with Bigfoot. You know, I, I don't think it's unusual to think that there's creatures out there. I mean, we're always finding some kind of species of fish or something that we, we were told was extinct or we were told, you know, didn't even know existed. So why would it be so hard to believe there's, you know, some type of a bigger species of animal that we just can't keep, you know, catch up with? So, 
Absolutely. I mean, um, I know I say this, I say this a lot to people, but I don't believe in Bigfoot. I mean, we're from the UK, so I mean, uh, you know, we're arm's distance from it all. But I always say to people who don't believe in Bigfoot, I say there's more evidence for Bigfoot than there is for Jesus. Do you believe Jesus? <laughs> That's um, another story. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there's footprints, there's hair, there's blood. Obviously. You know, there's plenty of sightings of Jesus and stuff like that, but we don't get yeah. the footprints and all the rest of it. So we did a show about the giants, didn't we? In Norway, mm, and all that, that, well, that was pretty, yeah. that was pretty decent. But, um, no, there's something going on. Like, like I say, that stranger than you know, just stranger than you could imagine. Really, what's going on out there? The show is "Don't Break the Oath" podcast, and yep. this is uh, Lee and Andy. Uh, we appreciate you guys being on. Uh, thank you so much. I think it's been a, a hell of an addition to this show. It's this is going to be our longest show ever, so you guys contributed to that uh, oh, mainly okay. mainly because you don't shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we do. We, we just keep talking and talking. You know, or you do. Well, I do. I know. Then no, it's been it's been fun. All kidding aside, it's been fun, and uh, we knew it was going to do this. But you know, this uh, this interview here, we we've been on the air for about fifty minutes, uh, just us. So. Uh, that's that's a normal show for us, but I, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to have a complete collaboration between you guys and uh, be able to show people, you know, what your show's like and what our show's like, and try to mix it up a little bit. So we were thankful you guys came on, and I think uh, our listeners will get a true taste of what your show's really like now. Yeah, and then they, they uh, hopefully won't. <laughs> they'll probably think yeah. they won't listen to any of that <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, well, you I guys like to listen just for your accent. I have a. Oh. Could you, you. could you understand us, though? I could. You... I could understand you. I have a, a guy that works across the hall from us, and his name is George Hill, and he's he's got that accent, too, and I just love to hear him talk. So I guess Ninja likes it, too. So. Yeah. Oh, sounds like it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> but uh, we thank you guys for coming on. We appreciate it. And uh, everybody go out and give them a listen if you haven't already. And. Uh, go ahead and binge listen on them. I think you'll you'll be addicted and uh, and do us a favor. Uh, these guys are on. Twitter. Tell them your Twitter and your. Uh, you've got a new website too. They'll tell everybody about that. Yeah, the website is is brand new, so you can't actually find it without. Uh, I think it's on the second page of Google at the moment. Um, so yeah, so basically the website uh, is uh, www don't break the oath podcast dot com or or one word obviously or one phrase I guess is a word. Uh, yeah, and then Twitter is uh, Facebook as well. We've got that on so. Twitter will be at DBTO Podcast if you want to send a message. Um, but yeah, so thanks for having us. Yep, thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. And, uh, really, really enjoyed it. I know I've, I've only been listening to your show a short while because um, you know I got I got put onto it by um, Phil Phil from Scared Podcast. Um, but um, I've you're one of the podcasts where I listen to because I listen to a few podcasts where I listen to one or two and then I, I think, oh, I'm not interested anymore and I just turn it off and I never go back to it. But yours is one of those ones where I listen to one or two of your episodes and I, I felt like I'd known you for years. So you've got that going for you at least. <laughs> well, that'll bring us to our reincarnation episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is definitely, is definitely, definitely true. Is it my singing? Is that what it is? I love the singing. I love the Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, do a rap. I'm going to do a rap next one, so y'all be ready. I'm not so, I'm not so keen on the rapping, but we're going to do a bit more <laughs> of the, either, oh, 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 the old Elvis. Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> 
But guys, thank you so much. And, and everybody out there listening, if you give a listen to the show and you like it, send them a message on Twitter. Tell them you heard about them on our show so they'll know how many new listeners they're getting in from their appearance here. Uh, same thing on Facebook. Just uh, send them a message. Tell them you, you heard them on here or send them an email. Go to the website and let them know that you appreciate them coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. We really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll bring you guys on in the future when we do another uh, a British story. We'll bring, try to get you on a couple of times a year and, and uh, make this a, a kind of a annual, a semi-annual thing. Look forward to that, Joe. Yeah, Look forward to great. That. Awesome, Fantastic. Guys. Thank you so much, and we'll see you later. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers guys. Bye. Cheers.